Ephesians chapter 5, let's begin at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, Lord, we thank you for your presence and the the privilege of being able to come together and to worship you. And we thank you because we are able to sense you at work in our midst. Now I ask that you will open our hearts that we may hear and receive your word. Not so much what the preacher is going to say, but what the spirit is going to say in the midst of the preaching. Help us to remember those things. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I especially pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith, that you will draw them back to you so that not one of them will be lost. Thank you for hearing our prayer today. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I began talking to, talking to you from the theme, Family Matters. I'm talking about Family Matters because Family Matters. No series of messages on this theme would be complete without spending a little bit of time talking about marriage. Interestingly enough, there are no wedding ceremonies included in the Bible. 
wedding ceremonies we perform are really evolutions of cultural ideas. Oh, they may contain verses from the Bible, but the ceremonies don't come from Scripture. However, the ingredients that make for a good, strong marriage come directly from God's Word. Unlike our modern culture, in ancient times, the emphasis for finding someone to marry wasn't on selection, but on becoming. See, in ancient times, it was the parents who selected brides for their sons and husbands for their daughters. The marriages were arranged marriages. They were contracts entered into by the parents of the bride and groom. The parents would choose the spouse because the understanding was that it wasn't nearly as important to find the right mate as it was to become the right mate. When the ancient Jew looked for a bride for his son, there were a couple of things that were of paramount importance. First, he was obviously looking for a girl who didn't have a bad reputation, one who was without spot and blemish on her character and reputation. But then he was also looking for a girl who didn't have wrinkles. The reason, according to the book of Job, was an ancient Hebrew idea that wrinkles were caused by worry. If you had wrinkles, it was an indication you didn't trust God. So if a girl had wrinkles, it simply meant she didn't trust God and she would in turn give their son wrinkles. Don't be nudging your spouse. I see those elbows going. You'll, they bruise easily. So. While I'm not advocating for arranged marriages in the message today, I do want to let you in on something. Marriage doesn't create problems. It reveals problems. See, I can hide my selfishness from you because while we may be friends, we're not that close. But I can't hide that selfishness from my wife. At some point in our relationship, in the push and shove of life, that selfishness in me is going to surface. And when it does, I have a choice. I can blame her for creating the climate in which I explode, or I can say, Lord, here's part of my ugly nature that isn't yet conformed to the image of your son. If I choose that alternative, then I'm cooperating with the plan of God. I once heard of a little boy who was reading the biographies of some of the saints in history. He read about a particular saint who sat for 10 years in a certain location contemplating the mysteries of the universe. Well, this intrigued the little boy, and he decided he wanted to emulate this great saint. So he came and sat down on a stool in his mother's busy kitchen and announced to her while she was in the middle of preparing dinner that he was going to sit there for the next 10 years. Well, the mother had just had one of those days. You, you know the kind moms, right? Her patience level was about a quart low, and her son's announcement was the straw that just broke the camel's back. She jerked him off that stool, applied a little persuasion in the appropriate area, and told him to get out of her kitchen while she was busy preparing dinner. And the little boy was heard saying through his tears, I find it's very difficult being a saint at home. 
Isn't that the truth? It is difficult being a saint at home. But that's why God places us in families. It's in the home that circumstances and situations occur that reveal to me my imperfections so I can ask God to purify that which is evil, correct that which is wrong, and apply his word to my life. The Bible says in Psalm 68, 6, he sets the solitary in families. Another translation says God makes a home for the lonely. He does that so when parts of our character arise that aren't in keeping with his divine nature, we can come to him in humble contrition and say to him, Lord, here's part of my nature that needs to be changed. Now, this idea of the family begins with the marriage. If the family is to be strong and healthy, then the marriage must be strong and healthy. In order for the marriage to be strong and healthy, it has to be built upon a good, solid foundation. And that brings me to our text for today. This passage is one of the classic passages to teach us about the marriage relationship. Unfortunately, it's one of the most misunderstood passages. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul lays out some doctrinal positions. Then, beginning in chapter 4, he makes the application of those doctrines to practical life. He tells us, in light of these doctrinal truths I've been presenting, this is how we should live. In verse 15 of chapter 5 that we read just a few moments ago, he tells us, therefore be careful how you walk. Then he gives us three contrasts, not as unwise, but as wise, not as foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, not drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And then he tells us five things that describe the result of being filled with God's Spirit, speaking to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making music, giving thanks, and submitting to each other in the fear of Christ. Now, there may be some other things, but in this passage, the apostle describes what spirit-filled believers are like. The lives of spirit-filled believers are marked by singing, thankfulness, and mutual submission. <coughs> then, beginning at verse 22, he gives us an example of what this mutual submission looks like in the relationship of a husband and wife. And this is where we see the ingredients that go into forming a foundation for a good marriage. Notice, there is no place in the Bible where you will find any instruction for helping two people of the same gender to have a good, happy, fulfilling, God-honoring marriage. Yeah. There's a reason for that. It's because the only marriage relationship recognized and sanctioned and blessed by God is between one man and one woman. Now, I don't have time to spin there. I just need to hit that and move on. But in this marriage relationship, the first thing we see is that a good marriage needs a good leader. Verse 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Now, there are too many who have read this verse and have misused it. They read the word submit as a negative thing. They are offended by the word, thinking that it somehow points to a passive, weak life dominated by a negative self-image, giving up control and free will. They read it as the husband is the boss. 
They read it as the husband is somehow better, superior to, more important than, ruling over the wife. Well, the word submit literally means arrange under. It's used of submitting to God's law and of everything being subjected under Christ's feet. And there's no privileged group in view here. Instead, the instruction in verse 21 is for all believers to submit to each other. Believers are called to live in mutual submission. This submission is a strong and free act of the will based on real love of the other person. Submission was so important for New Testament writers because it described the self-giving love humility, and willingness to die that are demanded of all followers of Jesus. When this verse says the husband is the head, it means the husband has the responsibility for. Just as Jesus redefined greatness as being a servant, so this passage redefines being head as having responsibility to love, to give oneself, and to nurture. When I think of this idea of a husband being the head and the ingredients of leadership, I often think of a football team. See, out on the field, you have 11 players trying to score a touchdown. Each one of those 11 players has a job to do. Each one has a responsibility. But when those 11 guys get in the huddle, there's only one who calls the plays. Now, he may not be the best athlete, There may very well be other guys in the huddle who are faster than him. There may be other guys in the huddle who are stronger than him. There may be other guys in that huddle who can outthink, outlast, and outplay him. But it's his responsibility to be the leader. He isn't calling the plays solely for his own benefit. He isn't relegating some of the guys to subservient roles. He's doing everything he can to help them score points and win the game for the benefit of the team. When the game is won, it is hailed as a team victory. But start losing, and it isn't long before the fans are calling for a change. And it often starts with a call for a different quarterback, that guy who is the leader on the field. See, being the leader in the marriage isn't about what I say goes. Being the leader in the marriage isn't about keeping the little woman in her place. Being the leader in the marriage isn't about dominating and controlling. Being the leader in the marriage isn't about swagger and demanding your own way. If we're going to be the leader, if we're going to be the head, the way Christ is head of the church, then we're going to have to practice the same kind of leadership he modeled for us. We're going to have to be servant leaders, not demanding our own rights, but giving up our rights to serve our wife, not demanding our own way, but doing everything we can for the benefit of our wife. I thought I'd get a few more amens from the ladies, but I'll just keep preaching until, I, until y'all catch up. Being this kind of leader requires a lot of us. First, it requires time. We're going to have to become students of our wife. We're going to have to spend time with her, to learn her, to understand her likes and her dislikes, understand her desires, to understand her frustrations. 
See, it, and it doesn't do any good to talk about, well, I spend quality time. No, no, quantity is important. It's going to require both quantity and quality of time. There is no substitute for time spent together. And then it's going to require availability. That means being there when we're needed, to talk when she needs to hear, to listen when she needs to be heard, to hold when she needs to be held, to understand and observe solitude when she needs to be alone, never too busy to stop and listen and help, never too busy. Time, availability, and leadership requires modeling. See, anytime we talk about leadership, there's always somebody wanting to jump in and take the role so he can tell the spouse how to do it. It isn't about telling her what to do and how to do it. It's about showing, demonstrating, helping. The husband that wants respect will be respectful. The husband that wants honor will be honorable and will show honor. The husband that wants care will be caring and considerate. In a later message, I plan to spend some time talking about a wife's need for love and a husband's need for respect. It comes from verse 33. Each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. The wife must see to it that she respects her husband. If the husband is to receive the respect he needs as the leader in the relationship, then he is to love the wife. If the wife is to receive the love she needs in the relationship, she is to respect and follow the leadership of the husband. I don't know where husbands ever got the idea they could get more respect if they were harsh and demanding of the wife. I don't know where wives got the idea they would get more love if they were disrespecting and chafing and rebelling against the leadership of the husband. The foundation for a good marriage begins with the ingredient of a leader. Y'all doing okay? All right. Just checking. <laughs> There's the second ingredient in this passage, and that is love. If you want the foundation for a good marriage, it needs to have love. It probably goes without saying, but sometimes we need to be reminded of the obvious. A good marriage needs real love. You know, it doesn't take a great deal of insight to figure out that the world can be a cruel place. The world can be harsh and unforgiving, and it's easy to get wounded and crushed when you go out into the world. One of the most important things a home can be is a place of refuge, a place of unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Now, since the wife is asked to submit, one might expect that the husband would then be instructed to rule in an appropriate way. Instead, it says that husbands are to love and give themselves with the same self-giving love that Christ had in giving himself for the church. Love is the fuel that keeps our lives going. Love is the fuel that energizes and vitalizes a marriage. Now, I, when I talk about love, I'm not talking about the kind of stuff that passes for love on the daytime soap operas or in the romance novels. I'm not talking about the kind of feeling that passes for love in our, cult, in our culture. You know, the kind that says, I'll love you if you love me, but when times get harsh and hard, I'm going to look for something or somebody else. The kind of love I'm talking about is something strong and caring and secure. It's something that looks for and believes the best. It's something committed and faithful, even when facing the brunt of life's storms. It's something that seeks the highest good of the one being loved. 
Verse 25 tells us the kind of love husbands are to express in the marriage is the same kind of love Christ expressed for the church. This kind of love is selfless love. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, that Christ made of himself no reputation. Another translation says that he emptied himself. He wasn't seeking his own comfort, but did everything to secure the salvation of lost humanity. Selfless love. It wasn't for his benefit, it was for our benefit. Not only that, but this Christ kind of love is serving love. Perhaps the greatest example of serving love is seen in the upper room in John chapter 13 when Jesus removes his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, takes a basin of water, and goes to each of the disciples and washes his feet. Though he was the greatest, he humbled himself as the least. You know, there are plenty of people who want to tell us what to do. There are precious few giving a living demonstration. I'm telling you, the greatest need we have is not to hear another sermon preached, but to see a sermon lived. Serving love. And then we see it is sacrificial love. John 15, 13 reminds us, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. John 3, 16, that classic verse that we all know tells about this sacrificial love when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. This isn't just the natural love of a man for a woman. As wonderful as that kind of love is, it isn't sufficient for the marriage relationship. This love isn't confined to feelings and attitudes. It involves a series of choices that expresses discipleship to Jesus. What I want you to see is that submission and agape love are synonymous. We live in a world that emphasizes equality. But even if you have equality, too often you have a battle of rights. Equality can exist without love, but it won't create a Christian community. With mutual submission, we give up rights and we support each other. Mutual submission doesn't allow us to promote ourselves and our own interests, but neither does it make us doormats to be used by others. Legitimate submission cannot be coerced. The ideas of leadership and love as presented in the context of marriage are two sides of the same coin. In the end, submission is nothing other than humility and the self-giving love of Jesus. When the the Bible talks about the submission of the wife, it isn't endorsing some chauvinistic mentality where she is the servant doing all the work or agreeing to any request that her husband thinks up. Rather, it is that she gives up self-centeredness, takes seriously her mutuality with her husband, and promotes the benefit of her husband. She respects his leadership. She affirms his leadership. The point of the headship instruction to husbands is to teach the responsibility we have to give ourselves to our wife as Christ gave himself for the church. We must be givers, not takers. We are to give up self-centeredness. I'd like to just kind of hammer on that a little bit. I'd like to underline it. I'd like to put it in big, bold boxcar letters. We are to give up self-centeredness and any privilege of being head in order to promote the well-being of our wife. Mutual submission means that decisions are made by both partners for unselfish reasons. When disagreement occurs... 
the husband doesn't automatically have the deciding vote. What it means is that we reject self-centeredness and work for the good of the other. It means we have made a decision about the relative worth of our spouse, and we will do whatever is in her or his best interest. Thank you. I think I'm doing pretty good, too. Appreciate that word of affirmation. Might maybe say it a little louder for the people on this. <laughs> I'm playing. The foundation for a good marriage consists of the combined working of these two ingredients, leadership and love. But there's one more ingredient that needs to be added for this foundation to be strong and stable. A good marriage needs a leader. A good marriage needs love. Third, a good marriage needs a Lord. See, all through this passage, we are made to understand that the true head of the marriage, the true Lord, is Christ. Did you pay attention when we read it? Verse 23, as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24, the church is subject to Christ. Verse 25, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. Verse 29, just as Christ also does the church. Verse 32 tells the true nature of the teaching when it says, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Now, here's what I know. There's a lot of good advice out there about the marriage and the family and the home. There's books, there are video series, there's seminars. There are counselors to help you develop communication skills, learn to listen to one another, treat one another with respect, put the romance back in a relationship. There's some really good stuff out there that we need to learn. But the real place to begin is right here where we recognize the most important dimension is the spiritual dimension. The most important ingredient in putting, is putting Jesus at the center of life and the center of the marriage relationship and as head of the family unit. That's the most important thing you could do for your marriage relationship. Now, let me show you how this works. I'm, I'm, Pastor Larry, would you help me? Would you bring this over? Some of you saw this ladder sitting over here and thought we were changing light bulbs. But uh, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's here for a reason. Just bring it right here in the middle. Thank you, thank you. Now, I've asked a couple if they would help me with this illustration. So, Sean and Christina, would you, would you come please and help me? Um, why don't you give them a hand as they're coming up because this is a little terrifying. All right, if one of you stand on this side and one stand on the other side. All right, here we have a married couple and... Um, I was privileged here just a few years ago to, uh, to do their wedding, and uh, oh, it was a beautiful occasion. It was a lovely time. We had a great time, and uh, now, they've, now children have been added to the mix. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, but you know, Sean and Christine have been having some difficulty lately. <laughs> Things have been a little tense, uh, a little rocky right now. <laughs> she says it's all his fault. She's probably right, but he says it's all her fault. So pressures have been kind of pulling them apart. They've gotten a little selfish. And in the process, how many of you know that when, when offense happens in the relationship, you get hurt? So they've become hurt. And because of the hurt, then they start putting up defenses and building walls. 
So they've started drifting away from each other. But now let's just suppose something happens to bring them to a place where they decide, you know, we don't like this. We need to strengthen our relationship. But, but first of all, we need to strengthen our relationship with Jesus. Maybe, maybe it was a sermon that I preached, you know, that like, yeah, Pastor John's absolute. It could happen. Don't. Some of you are going, it, it really, it could, maybe it was a sermon, you know, and they like, I really need to draw closer to Jesus. So this is what they do. They, they, they start drawing close. Just imagine, if you will, that Jesus is at the top of this ladder, okay? So they're going to get closer to Jesus. They start dedicating themselves to Jesus. So they start spending time reading the Bible and praying, not together, but, but the, by themselves, but they're doing it individually, and they fellowship with other believers. They begin to focus on their relationship with Jesus. They're getting closer to Jesus, step by step, getting closer to Jesus. Well, notice what's happening. As they get closer to Jesus, what happens? They get closer to each other. There it is. There it is. You got it. You got it. All right, y'all can yeah, get down. Get down. Quit. All right. I, uh. Do you see that? Thank you, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, give them a hand. Does anybody remember Matthew 6, 33? You better. If not, I've got a book out in the lobby that you all need to get a copy. No. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, as they begin to draw closer to Jesus, they automatically begin to get closer to each other. It never fails. When Jesus is Lord of your life, when you place him as Lord of your relationship, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you will get to one another. Jesus told a parable in the Gospel of Matthew about a man who built his house upon the sand. You know the story. The rains came, the winds blew, the floodwaters rose, the house built on the sand collapsed. But there was another man who built his house with a good solid foundation. He built it upon a rock. When the rains came and the winds blew and the floodwaters rose, the house on the rock stood firm. Now, there are a number of lessons to be learned from this story. I don't have time to talk about all of them. But first, I would tell you this story lets us know that we're all going to face storms. Nobody gets a pass. Everybody is going to have times when storms are going to blow into your life. Every marriage is going to face rough times. The storm, here, please, please hear this. The storm doesn't say anything about your spirituality or your lack of spirituality. It just says there's a storm. That's all it says. And notice, it's the same storm that comes to both, both guys. If you read it, it says, the guy that built his house on the sand, the rains came, the winds blew, floods rose. It says about the guy that built his house on the rock. 
The rains came, the winds blew, the floods rose. It's the exact same verse. Exact same storm comes to both. The, different, the only difference is the foundation. So this story tells us there are some things we can do before the storm comes to help ensure our marriage lasts. See, if you build your relationship on mutual attraction, there will probably come a day when you are not as attracted to one another as you once were. And the relationship will collapse if that's what it's built on. If you build your relationships on what you get out of it, there will be times when you don't get anything from it. And the relationship will be in danger of collapsing. If you build on what is the best financial arrangement, or staying together for the sake of the children, or one person satisfying a need to control, and the other satisfying a need to be controlled, if you build on anything other than the foundation of a life surrendered to Jesus, then it's on precarious footing in serious danger of collapsing. The way to a sure, strong, stable foundation is to build upon faith in Jesus. It has to begin with each person bringing your life under the lordship of Jesus. It begins with you surrendering your will your plans, your aspirations, surrender it all to Jesus. It begins with him being given first place in your life and in your relationship. It begins with a full and complete surrender so that all of life is lived to the praise of his glory. It begins with the decision that you're going to live according to his will and in obedience to his commands. It begins with a passionate desire to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Only when your life is fully surrendered to Jesus, are you able to live in mutual submission to one another? Only by his help, through his power, can you submit to one another and love one another in a manner that brings satisfaction to you and ultimately glory to him. I want to pray with you today. I want to pray for couples. I want to pray for those of you that may be struggling in your relationships and believe with you that the Lord is going to turn things around and put you on solid footing. I want to pray for those who are happy in your relationship and believe that your relationship will be strengthened and that you'll be able to be a help and an encouragement to others. I want to pray for strong marriages. I want to pray for those who are single and want to be married that the Lord will bring the right person to you. But until he does, you will find your fulfillment and contentment in him. And I want to pray for those who are called to be single, that the Lord will continue to strengthen and help and sustain you, that your service to him will be pleasing and productive. I want to pray for homes and families families of this church will be a testimony of what a godly home is supposed to look like. I especially want to pray for individuals who have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus. That's the beginning place. Not just for a relationship or for an abundant life in the present and for eternal life in the hereafter. So let's bow together, shall we?
Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for people who have gathered to hear your word. And I pray that you will make up for all of my inadequacies in trying to present your word today. Things that are unnecessary or maybe even incorrect, I pray that you just help us forget all of those things. Let, just let them fall out of our memories. But those truths that are important, that are, that are nuggets that we need to hang on to, I pray that you will drive them deep into our spirit. Lord, I want to first of all pray if there's someone who is part of this service who has not yet surrendered their life to you. Right now, in the quietness of this moment, we just look to you. And in our hearts, we just say, come, Lord Jesus, into my life. Transform me from the inside out. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of going my own way. And I determine I'm going to go your way from this day forward. Help me to do that. I surrender my plans to your plans. I surrender my will to your will. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Lord, I pray for the people in this service that are listening to this message. For those that are called to be single. We know that you do call people to that. Lord, that doesn't make them less in your kingdom, but they are valued by you and by us. I pray that you will strengthen and sustain them and help them to live lives that are pleasing to you. I pray, oh Lord, for those that, uh, that are currently single, but they really want to be married. Help us to not short-circuit your plan for us in our haste. Help us to not get ahead of you. And I pray that you will bring the right person to the lives of these people. That godly man or woman that you have designed for them. Bring them, I pray. Put them together in your bonds so that it will be holy matrimony. Lord, I pray for marriages that are happy and healthy. Lord, we're never as good as we can be. So I pray that you will strengthen those marriages. That you will encourage them. And that they will be, they will be lifted up as, as models of what you can do in our lives when we put you first. Oh, Lord, I pray that there will be such fulfillment in the marriages that are already strong. That nothing, when the enemy would want to come against them, that they would stand together against him. And nothing would come between them. And Lord, I pray for those relationships right now that are struggling. Some that are tense, some that are trying to navigate some rough waters. I pray that you will help the people in those relationships to lay aside personal agendas, to set aside all selfishness, and they will focus on you and on loving as you have instructed us to love. 
Help us to follow your model, O Lord. Lord, put back into us that, that, that first love feeling we had for our spouse. I pray that you will strengthen those homes, encourage those people. Forgive us for when we've stepped outside the boundaries. Bring us back together stronger than we've ever been. Thank you for hearing our prayer, Lord. That's a lot, but we ask a lot because we know you're such a big God. So thank you for hearing our prayer today. I'm believing that this day will be a turning point in the lives of some of these people who are part of this service today. And I thank you for that. Amen.